Uh, as you're coming back, I uh, want to just mention a couple things really quickly so everybody's on the same page. First and foremost, next Sunday uh, we're having what we call a Sabbath gathering, which means that we will not be gathering here either in the morning or the evening. Uh, we really believe that part of a healthy life of spirituality and just in general is a one that has somewhat of a rhythm of rest. And even things like this can become work, just another thing to do, another place to be. And so uh, for us, we like the idea that every kind of six, seven or so weeks that we're going to take a week off to just not be here, to not meet, to rest and to play. And so that you would sleep in, hopefully you're awake by 6 p.m., depending upon how Saturday night went, I guess. But uh, sleep in, uh, enjoy the day, enjoy some really great food and relationships and friends that you would like legitimately not schedule anything for that day and do whatever comes first uh, to your heart and that you want to go and do. Uh, That's a good thing for our spirituality. So that that is next Sunday. So no gatherings next Sunday. And then in two, in three Sundays, on April 21st, we want to make sure that you know uh, there is this thing known within the Christian calendar as Easter that is coming up. And for us, this is one of the more significant gatherings of the year uh, because of what it means within the Christianity context. But more significantly for us with CMYK, there's some really special stuff that happens when we wrestle through and talk about death, burial, and resurrection, even if resurrection is spelled wrong, we're still going to talk about it. So um, that that's going to happen. And so on April 21st, it's our hope that you would be able to be a part of that gathering and be here and maybe even think through friends and family that you want to invite to because Easter is kind of that time of like, well, we got to go to church. There's some really unique things that are happening here, and we love it, and I hope that you can make it uh, for Easter on April 21st. It is different gathering times. We meet at 9.30 a.m. and 11. A.M. So there's no evening gathering. Okay, so this will not be happening. It's 9:30 and 11. There'll be kid care at both of them. So hopefully you can make that happen. You don't have to dress up in your Sunday best unless you really, really want to. Today we're going to be launching into a series of talks that's going to get us into Easter and lead us up to Easter. It's really just a couple weeks, and the the idea is this: when the end is not the end. There's a story that's found in the Gospel of John within the Bible where Jesus is um, interacting with his disciples and all of a sudden someone interrupts his conversation and says, Jesus, this man that you love, Lazarus, in other words, they're putting this guy up as someone that's significant and important, a friend of Jesus, and they say, he's sick and you've got to come. You've got to make it better. And Jesus actually kind of takes his time and ends up getting to where Lazarus is. And when he arrives there, according to John chapter 11, there's a crowd of people that have assembled. And Lazarus has actually passed away. And what we see take place is Jesus begins to interact with this crowd because they're all in mourning. They're wrestling with the fact that their friend just died. And Jesus actually asks that they would roll away the tomb because Lazarus is not dead. And Martha, who's there, who knows Jesus and knew Lazarus, says, Hey, Jesus, I don't know that this is a good idea because Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days and he's a stinky guy. Like, we do not want to make this happen. This is not a good idea. But Jesus says, Hey, we got to do this and convinces the crowd to roll the stone away. And then commands Lazarus to come out of the tomb. And Lazarus, as many of us have heard the story, he comes out of the tomb. There's resurrection. There's new life. In other words, it's a story of a group of people that have determined an ending. They've all bought into the fact that Lazarus is dead. This is over. It's done. And they're mourning appropriately around that story. And then Jesus shows up and says, no, the end is not the end, and Lazarus is not dead, and there's something different happening here. 
And because of this story, we see that the end is not the end, and there is this thing known as resurrection. The Bible, as many of us know, is filled with stories like this, where there's an understanding, a a, a projection of where things are going to be headed, and then all of a sudden, there's a different story. There's a different narrative being told that we did not expect and nobody in the story assumed was going to happen. But it's as if God shows up and changes everything. And it's stories like this where stories of physical healing. Obviously, many of us have heard and know of the stories of Christ where someone is sick and lame or blind. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and they're healed that there was an ending. But Jesus says, no, the end is not the end. Stories of resurrection, more than just Lazarus. There's all these different moments throughout Scripture where people are risen from the dead. Stories of conflict and war. Many times the people of God are about to go to war and it, it's just assumed that this is the end. They're going to lose. They've got like four guys and three forks. And that's all they have for their army. And the other people have tanks and all of these things. And they just assume, like, this is the end. But the story of Scripture is like, no. No, the end is not the end, and God comes through and changes everything. Stories of food and supplies where they don't have enough, and all of a sudden they do. And stories of relational needs, people that are lonely, and they feel like this is just my life. And then God shows up, and they now are in relationship. Over and over and over again, the scriptures tell of this kind of story. The end is not the end. But here's what we know. We know that these stories are thousands of years old. And many times when we look at these kinds of stories, there can be a tendency to understand, okay, there's just a worldview and there's a perception that's being brought to these stories that is not the same worldview and perception that I would bring to these stories. So a story of a drought or where the weather has turned, you know, for them, it's God, you need to bring the rains. And for us, 2,000 years later, we're going, yeah, I I just think, you know, the climate and the weather patterns and we just understand the season that we're in and we can actually predict what's coming. We can understand that scientifically speaking, maybe there was something happening that in in Jesus' time, it was this miraculous healing, but someone just, like, they started to drink clean water, potentially, and all of a sudden, everything was better. I remember when I was a kid, and these things of the ten plagues of Egypt were these momentous things that God brought to the nation of Egypt, and I saw this story on the TV. I had to actually watch it away from my parents. My dad still doesn't know that I watched it. It It was this TV show that was scientists looking at all of the ten plagues of Egypt and saying, oh, see, it could have been this, and it could have been that, it could have been this. For me, I grew up with the story that it was God, that all of these unexplainable things, the end is not the end, it's God. But here, all of a sudden, was this science to say, well, maybe something different has happened. What I think happens for many of us, the world that we easily grow up in, particularly if we grew up in any kind of spirituality or religion, is that there's these unexplainable things And it's easy to just create this God bucket and say the things that I can't explain, the mysteries of the universe, when the end is not the end, when that comes, God did something. Because that's the story of Scripture. But at the same time, we also understand that there's this thing called science and logic and reason. And so many times we... We don't just put everything in a God bucket. There's these moments where we go, no, it actually fits in this bucket over here that we can explain this. We can actually point to why this is happening the way that it's happening. And for many of us in this room, this God bucket is something that has potentially grown smaller and smaller and smaller. It's got some holes in it. It's not really a bucket. It's more of like a shot glass. And and there's just not much that can hold. Because for some of us, the conversation is more around, no, we can explain it if we actually dig in and figure this out. And for others of us, 
there is a role of this this idea of a God bucket, that no, mystery is here and present. We can't lose it. We can't, we can't be afraid to point at the unknowable things of the universe and say it's God. And there's easily a tension between the two things. And if your personality is anything like mine, potentially you find yourself on one side or the other more naturally. Well, for me, there's a couple people that I've uh, had the opportunity to spend a, a long time uh, in my life with, and these two people have been uh, really instrumental for me in trying to understand and wrestle through what this tension looks like. When the end is not the end, what's the conversation that we bring to that, and what's a healthy way to go about it? And so I'm so excited and honored that they're here to share with us tonight. Would you please welcome my lovely wife, Kate Blakesley, and my lovely friend, Joanna Frank, as they come up to share with us this evening. So this one is my wife. This is Kate. Everybody say hi to Kate. And this one is my friend. I, uh, Joanna actually was my senior prom date. Sorry, Kate. Uh, and so I took, took Joanna to prom. Didn't work out. So uh, anyways, uh, yes, I've known Joanna since I was in middle school. And uh, we've had many conversations and, and, and thoughts around this. Sorry, I didn't do a good job with the mic cable. I was trying to be a helper cable. and I was not. All right. So um, when it comes to this idea of wrestling through, well, I should say this. Sorry. I'm, I got Intro. a little. Yep. Yeah. So Kate is a physician's assistant. And Joanna is a, a nurse in the ICU at Billings Clinic. And so what that means is that both of you are regularly dealing with scenarios and situations where potentially the end is here, but then you also have stories and scenarios where maybe the end is not the end. So where I like to live in this hypothetical realm, potentially, you on a daily basis go to the office and have to deal with this kind of thing. So what does that look like in your life for you guys to kind of live in that balance? Mm -hmm. There's not often that there's the miraculous part that happens. So Thank we can you. start with All that right. of crushing your hopes and dreams. Um, yeah, I feel like there's this invisible threshold um, that as people who work in medicine, when people come in and we're like, oh, they're over that line, like there's no coming back. And I don't think that there's been any instances really, except for your other one, yeah. um, where people are actively dying and their family members are praying and asking God for a miracle that I've ever seen anybody come back from that. You know, I live in a, I've worked in critical care for 13 years and it's like worst case scenario world. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the worst case scenario of falling off of your roof and becoming a quadriplegic and then dying a few years later from pneumonia, like I see that. And every day, every day. <laughs> Um, and so there is this, the worst case, this is impossible, and yet people still cry out for hope. And it gives them comfort in something bigger. Mm -hmm. Kate, what does it look like for you? Um, well, those miraculous things don't happen very often, like we said, and Joanna does work in the sickest of the sick, and it, you know, if it was going to happen, she would see it. And we don't see it very often. And, and that just iterates to me and kind of confirms, like, like when I hear about those things happening, 
I have a tendency to categorize them either. A, we, we don't know enough about science yet to prove why that happened to someone, and I legitimize it. I, I can say, oh, they were on this great drug, or they were on this machine that, you know, we have like five machines that replaces organs, heart, kidneys, lungs. We could replace all your organs with machines. And so I'm like, um, my brain starts going of, what's the science behind why they survived? I, I group them into that category. Or if I hear about them from someone who says, oh, my aunt is a medical miracle. and da -da, I'm like, you're naive. You don't know what you're talking about. And I just like minimize them that they probably don't understand the science of what happened. And therefore, they just attribute it to miraculous things. And um, so I reason away the, the um, wonder or hope. Um, that's my tendency. I have a tendency to have a very small bucket, like you were referencing. So then um, when you look at a story like Lazarus in the scriptures that, that we just shared, how do, how do you interact with a story like that? Is it they just didn't understand what was going on and Lazarus was really alive and they buried a live guy in a tomb, whoopsie daisy, and Jesus just was smart enough to go like, no, he's still alive, idiots. Roll <laughs> open that the door. Uh, open the door. Um, or is is it just a story, or is there something else behind it? Do you it? think Noah's Ark really happened? We're not going to have that conversation. <laughs> well, having, I, mean, I am asking you a question. It's a book full of parables and okay. a book full of stories, so did it really happen? I'm not to judge, but is it possible they buried someone who wasn't really dead? Yeah. yeah. Like. Okay. Well, and I think it just shows that we as scientists keep discovering and learning more and more. Yeah. And so we can explain more and more things. And that's reasonable. Yeah. 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 So People often who are very ill often do look dead. So is that possible that they put him in a tomb? And then his body is strong and young and recovers, perhaps. Like, that's a component to me, too, that we didn't talk about earlier. But, like the miraculousness of the human body, and that segues us into did it get created or evolve? We can talk about that later, but the way the body can recover from like really treacherous, horrendous things and illnesses, to me, that is like the, the miracle that yeah. we live in these bodies that are so deeply interconnected from cell to cell. That's more miraculous to, to me. Well, Jonah, you've you've talked uh, a little bit when we've talked about this about just the miraculousness of the technology and the science that we have. That there's a miracle or something divine or good or you know true and beautiful about that, and not to miss out on that idea, right? Yeah. When you first talked to me, you, I think you said something like, "I want you to talk about miracles," and I'm like, "Well, miracles don't happen anymore." Um, so it was a short talk originally. Uh, and I think you said something super cheesy like... Okay, this You is want fun. me to say that? No, sure, that's fine. It was fine. in jest, to be fair. That I needed to pray harder or something. Oh, yeah, that's right. I did say that. Zinger. I said, are you praying enough yeah. when you said miracles don't happen? Yeah. But I did. it did cause me to look up the definition of a miracle. And the miracle is like an unexpected or wondrous good outcome. Um, and then there's varying sort of definitions of that and examples. But another part of a miracle is an extraordinary achievement. And I really do think that in medicine and in science, our extraordinary achievements are tons of our machines. like Drugs, knowledge, knowledge I mean, of physiology, how you can work around problems with medications. Mm -hmm. how, yeah, that's the miracle to me in all of this. 
I mean, the fact more. that we can put people through open heart surgery on bypass machine. I don't know if everybody knows, but when you go on bypass, they like drain all of, they cannulate your heart and they stop you from breathing and they stop your heart from beating and they drain your blood out through gravity into this machine where it just circulates it slowly through your body. And so your heart's not beating and your lungs aren't moving and and then you wake up afterwards. And then you wake and up afterwards. Mm -hmm. And usually the anesthesiologist leaves the room. So it's like, really peace cool. out. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Sure, cool. That's a word. <laughs> yeah. So when, you, when we talk about this idea that there's mystery in the universe or things that we can't explain and the tendency that we have to put something in the God bucket versus the science bucket, how do you personally wrestle through that as two individuals that tend to live? I mean, you, your job you've got to do the science bucket more than the God bucket. You don't get to show up to a patient and be like, well, you know, you're paying me all this money to tell you we just got to pray and hope and see you later. Like, no, you, you have done all the training that you have to live in this, this science realm. So how do, you, how do you live between those two things? Is there a God bucket in your life or is, as, you know, you've grown, you've decided, no, nah, don't, don't need that anymore? I don't want to separate them or say one thing is black or white. Um, as a professional in the medical world, it's my job to support whatever decision a family member makes, um, even if I don't agree with that. But also, the most, the most, I've been around a lot of deaths, had the privilege of being at somebody's bedside as they exit this world. And um, I will say even in the most embracing, we're ready, this person's old, like, this is what they want, or, like, the incredibly tragic, sudden, they're young, this isn't fair, we're doing everything we can, but I know the writing's on the wall and they're going to die. The thing that makes it peaceful, that makes it okay, is when families reach out and hope for something bigger than them. And there's a comfort in that that I can't explain, and... I just am, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with not defining it. We can say, I can explain things with science to a certain extent, but I'm also like, they need to have the hope. They need to believe in something bigger than them. They need to have the wonder and explain to their children what happens. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate what you said earlier today about what does it hurt? Because while Joe is comfortable living in the gray, I really don't. I'm more of the, like, this is the way it is. You know, here's your treatment options. You can choose them or not. And you will either live or you won't. I have a tendency to live in that um, black zone more than the white or black. Um, <laughs> it's very dark. Uh, I'm just kidding. Anyways, I appreciate what you said earlier about, like, what is the harm in the hope? And, like, there is no harm. Like, it can be good outcomes for patients even. I said this earlier, we've done studies in science that show that when you have hope or faith or you know, believe in some sort of mystery that you're likely to have a better outcome than someone who has the same diagnosis who doesn't, which speaks to the power of what that can do. So yeah, there's no wrong or, or hurt in it, and I can appreciate that, absolutely. Is it for me to judge or participate in at this point in my life, I don't think so, and that's because uh, I guess I'm 
I'm the chief skeptic and and realist, and so it's part of my work as a PA to present you with facts and data, and I will always rely upon that. And part of the part of my life that I'm in right now of more disbelief than belief and more doubt than faith, and therefore I put my 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 work shows that also my work as a PA shows that part of my life also I guess yeah so um, when you interact with a family and Joanna you, you've had a lot of interactions with this I know you have two Kate where you interact with a family that that is bringing hope and is bringing their you know prayers or songs or chants whatever it is into the situation believing or hoping that that's going to do something um, I understand professionally there's this thing called bedside manner that you have to bring into into the room. You don't get to walk in and go, wait a second, everybody, that's not doing anything. What are you thinking? Like, but that you, there's a bedside manner. Personally, though, how, how do you view what's happening in that moment? Um, is it something that you, can, you do get on board with, or is it something that you struggle with, what's happening there? Uh, Joanna has a different answer for this because she's a bedside nurse, so she's with the patient for 12 hours. I, as a provider, come in, we have a conversation, we talk about options, we talk about evidence, we talk about, I don't know, prognosis, whatever fancy words you want to use for it, and then I get to leave the room. (laughs) So, you know, she sits in that more than I do. I get to say, you do you now, and walk away from it. So I guess I don't have to necessarily dig into it with, with the patient's families. Joe has a different perspective of that, probably. Well, usually what happens is the provider says, okay, go think about this. Here's the evidence. Here's the science. This is what I think is going to happen. And then they leave the room, and the family looks at me and goes, okay, so what did they just say? (laughs) Translate. So (laughs) we go through it all again. And um, I think I've just become really comfortable with thinking that I understand this science, that I know that, let's say this person's probably going to die, and they really want to try these other things, and I'm just like, okay, yeah, it's my job to just like love you and walk through that with you, and if I'm surprised, okay, great. I tend to be more skeptical, and like I said, there's never been, I have never witnessed. After 13 years, you're not surprised very often. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, although you're still, yeah. you, are you going to talk about that? The Billings Gazette yeah. stole my so, <laughs> The Billings Gazette had an article in the paper today that uh, was someone that was Kate's patient. So um, what's fascinating is my wife and I have had a lot of conversations around this, and we were having conversations around this idea of, uh, you know, well, it's, we just don't understand yet, you know. And Kate, you even said when we were talking about this that, you know, even the things that we would want to put in the God bucket, we just, we'll get there someday. We just don't have the technology or research to get there at some point. And then in the midst of all of that, you have this thing that happens that the Billings Gazette talked about today. What yeah. happened? This happened not long ago when we're in the midst of these dialogues. And I feel comfortable sharing this story because the patient disclosed it all in the newspaper. So I'm not violating any, um, you know, confidentiality of hers. You can go in, and go in there and read a nice article that Sue wrote in the um, paper. Anyways, she uh, had a tragic 
situation where she's bleeding her entire blood volume into her abdomen. She's transferred here. She cardiac arrests, which means her heart stops. She codes, has CPR performed on her as she is arriving to Billings and then continues to have CPR performed on her in the emergency department, recovers her heart function, goes to the operating room, has her bleeding controlled, and then ends up in the ICU. And the ICU doctors are telling her family that she's presumably brain dead and we should talk about organ donation. And when we start to talk about that, that's not something that's entered lightly. There's a lot of evidence to support those conversations. And I know the physicians that worked with her personally and they were telling me like, this isn't good, this isn't gonna end well, I've seen this before, multi-systems are failing. Like, Well, then she woke up <laughs> and literally four days after her tragic situation where her husband performed CPR on her, she walked out of the hospital, just the same as she was a week ago. And uh, I read the chart myself, I scoured it for my own science brain. I went and she was my patient, I talked to her for three days. I didn't really believe it if I hadn't seen it with my own two, two eyes. And I don't mean to say that like, oh, suddenly my mind has changed, a miracle. I'm still a skeptic and we'll <laughs> chalk it up to like, she's really lucky CPR. she had great CPR <laughs> yes. in route to preserve her brainstem function. Bunch of nerds that can't midst believe of that. Yeah. And she's really lucky she had the surgeon that she had. And she's really like, like, I will still attribute it all to a great amount of science that she could be transfused her entire volume of blood by a by a lab tech who who chose the right blood type for her based off of so, years of science. I don't, I will chalk that up to a lot of good science, but ultimately, why her brainstem woke up, I cannot explain to you. Well, and then there's the the grandma or aunt. Oh, yeah, you, you like that part. I just like this part. <laughs> well, it just so as Chris sh- said, it's a fly in your oil, fly in the ointment. What's the statement? Ointment. Fry in, there's a fry in the cake. I think is that what it says. <laughs> I think, put that on the podcast, I think that's it. Uh, uh, she's a Native American gal, and we watch a lot of their tradition, whether it be Crow or Northern Cheyenne, natives will chant and sage smudge, and when they're praying for their family, and they sing sometimes loudly, and what sometimes the neighbors feel is inappropriate, but they're very vocal about it, and her, her I don't know if it was her auntie or grandma or somebody was doing that over her, and... And I didn't witness this. This is what was told to me by another, by one of the nurses in the ICU. L- was chanting over her, looked out, and called her by name and told her to come back. And she woke up. So what? there's some <laughs> degree of of mystery Explain happening there. Explain that, scientist. Yeah, come on. Good CPR, my butt. I don't know. I need some time to mull that one. Yeah, over. she's gonna figure it out. I just need to get my charts out. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Or someone needs to discover something about the brain that we have yet to know. I think, like, my initial reaction to that was only because she was age 30 did she wake up. Like, someone old would not have recovered from that situation. So she had youth and health on her eight, on her side. And really great protocols. She had some outstanding, yeah, like, years of science going into what was done to her to keep her alive. And, um, yeah, I... I don't know. So here's here's why I bring that up, and here's why these two are up here, because I know what it's like, and probably many of you know what it's like to be a part or to see these ideas of the biblical stories where the end is not the end, and to look at our world and to look at our lives and and to say, well, that doesn't seem to happen as much for me, and why? 
And to create equations and scenarios for your life where you've got to pray more and fast more or go to church more or just give more money or these kinds of things. And then everything will be better and the end will not be the end. And that's typically um, the narrative in spaces around this concept. And for me, and I think for all of us now, I believe that there is huge value and significance in having voices like this that would point at these kinds of things and say, yeah, there's mystery, but... What if that mystery is just undiscovered science or reason or logic, whatever it is? And so the question uh, that I have then is in the midst of knowing who you are and where you are, um, you two still choose to be a part of this thing called CMYK. And, um, and to bring your voice here, why CMYK? When you could, you could be spending this time right now reading your charts and, and your science books and all of those things. You could be doing that, but you're here. So why here? Because this is, this is very much a space that is uh, focused around mystery, the divine, and, and asking those kinds of questions. I don't care. I, for, for me, it's uh, if I was ever in those moments, in those desperate times when people reach to faith or hope, you know, maybe I would do that. But ultimately, whether I was having hope or faith in medicine or God or whatever words you want to use, I hope that I wouldn't be alone doing it. And I think that's why I'm here, why I show up, because you and the people that were here this morning are our people. And if I was at his deathbed, bedside that I wouldn't want to be sitting there by myself and I know looking out that I wouldn't be and that's why that's why I'm here yeah um I think that I come to CMYK because I need to have uh faith and hope in humanity (laughs) Uh, I think that Jake and I have done a lot of church um it's my husband Jake and we've experienced a lot of a lot of abuse, a lot of shaming, a lot of uh, sucking you dry, of just like that huge void where the, they suck you dry and then blame you for your fatigue. Um, and <laughs> thanks, Alan. That's true. <laughs> and, and it's like, oh, you just didn't have enough faith or something stupid like that. And I'm like, I appreciate that this place is a safe place that people can deconstruct and we can share those stories together. And I have deconstructed. I'm ready to reconstruct. I'm also ready to like listen to other people's stories and hear their journey and embrace that wherever they are and to share mine wherever it is because I need hope in people that church can work, that it can actually love people and heal people and not hurt them and be the person that I think that Christ is and not this box that we grew up being indoctrinated in. So you both have the mic um, and uh, an opportunity to ask this community, the people in this room, for anything. What can the CMYK community do for you? Or what would you have to say to us tonight as you have the mic? 
I feel like I already did. Okay. Um, just that we keep showing up, that we keep being real, that we keep being okay with being vulnerable with each other yeah. um, and loving well. Like, it doesn't have to be pretty. We don't have to have answers, but we can love and do life and yeah. that we keep doing or trying to. Yeah, yeah, just bringing your best, most authentic selves and expecting the same out of me and um, and being willing to hear weird things like that I only believe in science and <laughs> being okay with that. Or even not having expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think at some point, I, I don't know, I keep coming back to this concept and I've said it a few times that whether you're here with faith or without it, at some point you might need it or want it. At some point in my life, I may be willing to pick that up again. Um, and I want to be in a place that I'll pick up what I think is safe, trustworthy, true, most reflective of the narrative of Christ. I've been in places in my life, Joanna described some, that I don't want to pick that up. That was hurtful to myself, to people all around me, to people that I love. I've been in places where there was nothing to pick up also, and I don't want that. I want to be in a spot that's it's safe to pick back up again, and it's a thing that I want to bring into my world and my family and my kids, and yeah. yeah. So as we close tonight, um, we come to this table that closes every one of our gatherings. It's this meal that has really been shared uh, by humanity, different spaces of people all around the world for the last 2,000 plus years in a lot of ways, more than that, because it was known as the Passover dinner before uh, Christianity hijacked it and called it communion or the Eucharist. And it's basically, I think, important to note that for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, people have been gathering around in sacred space together to have conversations around things that matter. It's the work of our humanity, I think. And, and for me, to come to this table today is to understand that we all are eat of the same bread and drink of the same cup. We're all a part of this together. And to look at this story and this narrative of the end is not the end is to understand that all of us have endings that come in our life. And for some of us, we're facing an end right now. For others of us, it's something we just went through. Um, But maybe it's an end of a relationship. For some of us, it's an end of uh, something physical. For some of us, it's an end of, of a vision or a dream that we had of who we are or something that we could see happen in the world around us. And there's this potential of like, I don't know that that's ever going to happen and I don't know that I'm going to be who I want to be or find my life in the place that I want it to be. We all find ends in our life. And for me, this, this table is, is a representation and a, a remembrance of the fact that the end isn't always the end. But it's also a clear and specific directive to remember that there's a body broken and there's bloodshed, that something does happen, it did happen. Brokenness, pain, hurt, death, endings come. And that it's our work as community to, to be honest about that, but then to also to work hard to find hope in that as well. I love that Kate brought in science to this word of hope of what it does to the brain and all of these things. What I can tell you is, for me personally, uh, as many of you know, in the last year, uh, I've lost my brother to cancer and then lost my mom uh, just a couple weeks ago. And what, what I can tell you is, in the midst of that journey that I've been through, I need 
the people around me. I need the people around me, like Kate, to communicate specifically, here's what's happening. Here's what's going on. Here's the truth. I need that. But then I also need people in in my life to look me in the eyes and say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I don't know how. I don't know where. But it's going to be okay. And that there's this really beautiful work when we do this together. That with the endings that you face, to find yourself in community, people that can speak truth and reality because it matters, and to find people that will look you in the eyes and say it's going to be okay. Or even as Kate mentioned, you're not going to be alone. Whatever happens, you're not going to be alone. This is the power and the significance of this meal, I think. For thousands and thousands of years, humanity has been coming to this place around these ideas. And so... um, All are welcome to this table to come, take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup. And Joanna asked to kind of close our time by reading a poem. And so I thought it would be a really great opportunity for us to reflect before we come to the table together. So the question is, what endings are in front of you? What voices are around you? Do you have voices of reality? Do you have voices of hope? Because both of those things matter. And what role are you playing in continuing to step and live this thing out? So, Joanna? All right, this is a Maya Angelou poem, and it's titled A Brave and Startling Truth. And I checked this book out from the library, I think right before we met on Monday, but I really felt like it was my reason for continuing to have hope in people and coming here. So I'm not going to read the whole thing, don't worry. When we come to it, we, this people, on this minuscule and kythless globe, we, who reach daily for the bomb, the blade, and the dagger, yet who petition in the dark for tokens of peace, we, this people, on this moat of matter, in whose mouths abide cankerous words which challenge our very existence, yet out of those same mouths come come songs of such exquisite sweetness, that the heart falters in its labor and the body is quieted into awe. We, this people on this small and drifting planet, whose hands can strike with such abandon that, in a twinkling, life is sapped from the living, yet those same hands can touch with such healing, irresistible tenderness, that the haughty neck is happy to bow and the proud back is glad to bend, Out of such chaos, of such contradiction, we learn that we are neither devils nor divines. When we come to it, we, this people, on this wayward floating body created on this earth, of this earth, have the power to fashion for this earth a climate where every man and every woman can live freely without sanctimonious piety, without crippling fear. When we come to it, we must confess that we are the possible, we are the miraculous, the true wonder of this world. That is when, and only when, we come to it. Whenever you're ready, feel free to come forward, take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and we'll close our time. Many of us know and understand that feeling of the end has come, the end is near. And God, many of us are wrestling through and have been wrestling through um, 
So how do, how do we go about this? We just call it? Or is there another work and role to be found? And tonight we come to this table because I believe that there's a recognition that we were never meant to wrestle through these questions or these, th these ideas alone, but through all of us bringing what we have to this table, all of us bringing our voice um, into each other's lives. And it's there that we can find the true meaning and what it looks like when the end is not the end. So God, I'm grateful for the people in this room and their voice in my life. And um, it's our hope that we would be able to leave this place and uh, be that voice to the people around us that's needed, friends, family, neighbors, our community. We love you. In the name of Christ, we pray. We say together, amen. All right. So just a reminder that there's no gathering next Sunday. We're taking a Sabbath gathering. And uh, please, please uh, do your best to get here the, next, the week after uh, and then Easter coming up as well. We uh, hope you can make it for both of those. So we're going to continue on in this series. So if there's anything we can do for you, please always let us know. Other than that, have a great night. Feel free to hang out for a little bit and chat. We'd love to connect some more. So thanks, guys.